Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salam ala rasulillah. Dear brothers and sisters, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and welcome to this Ilmfeed podcast episode. I'm your host, Fatima Barakatullah, and today I have a special guest with me. It is Sister Suma Deen. Suma Deen is an author, teacher, and freelance researcher based in Buckinghamshire, England. She writes on social justice, faith, and women. Suma is married with three children and lives with her pet fascination, it says here, for bodies of water and recreational painting. Uh, Sister Suma also, in terms of research, she writes on social justice, faith, and women. Her research focuses particularly on bringing Muslim mothers' experiences to the fore with her publication on Muslim mothers and their children's schooling. She has also written a number of resources on Islam used in mainstream schools. So I'm really pleased to say, Alhamdulillah, she's with us. Assalamu alaikum, Sister Suma. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah, Ustada. It's a real pleasure, honor to get the um, opportunity to speak to you. So thank you. Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. Yes, you know, your book, I've got it here with me, Turning the Tide, Reawakening the Woman's Heart and Soul. It's a book that I actually grew up seeing around the house and seeing in bookshops because, you know, it was really one of the one of the only Islamic books for women written in the English language in such a, you know, by somebody who's obviously a native speaker. Um, and uh, it, I just remember meeting some sisters and they told me they, that growing up, you'd been quite an important uh, influence in their lives, in their coming to Islam, you know, as young people growing up in the UK. And when they mentioned your name, I remembered that I'd seen your book, but I never actually got a chance to properly meet you. So I'm really glad that we're having this opportunity today. Yeah, alhamdulillah. It's it's a real honor to talk to you again. Um, you know, I've seen your name, seen your publications, but not had the opportunity to speak to you. So I'm really looking forward to it. Alhamdulillah. So tell us, um, uh, Suma Appa, like, what was the context in which you wrote the book? Um, and, and to you, what is the book, book significance? Why did you want to write this book? Yeah, so we're going back quite a long way, Ustada, um, a long way, uh, around the year 2000. Um, and it was around that time that I came across life brings people your way. So whether that's family, whether that's strangers um, or people, friends, people I'd grown up with. And there was quietly people who uh, were finding it very difficult to engage with anything Islamic uh, and actually sort of turning their back quietly saying, you know, I don't want anything to do with this space. It's it's too difficult. It's too harsh. Um, and unfortunately, they had baggage from experiences which, um, you know, are very complex, as you know, working in the community. And these are voices that I came across from many different places. And it got me thinking a lot, as in why, it got me thinking about sort of why they were turning away when there were resources and there were things. But I realized actually that sometimes people need different ways in um, to approaching the faith. Not everybody's at the same stage, everyone's on a journey. And so turning the tide really started the first 
impetus really to gather um, translations of ayahs of Quran and relevant hadith was to say particularly to women, although people have given me feedback that it was useful for men as well, but particularly I had women in mind to say, you know, just take one more look, give it a chance. Um, because what you've maybe got as bad experiences or injustices or baggage is not the real picture. Um, and that's unfortunate that it's happened to you through a whole range of, um, whether it's cultural or educational, you know, lots of things mixed together, circumstantial problems. Um, but it was really a way of trying to invite um, sisters to, to have a look and to say it's, it's different. There's a lot of love, mercy, compassion in our faith. And yes, of course, there's limitations. There's limitations in everything in life. But these are divine limitations. They're not there to harm us or impede our lives. They're there to make our lives easier. And so that was one of the starting points Okay, of why I started collecting and writing simultaneously. And then it grew. It evolved very slowly because I had very young children at the time, so barely when any were, time. What kind of year was this? This was around the year 2000. And oh, okay. um, the only way I can remember that is I was expecting my third child then. So I can connect his birth to these tiny little homemade booklets where I just write bits and put them in my handbag and go wherever I was going. Extremely busy time. I already had two girls, mashallah, who were about five and two or three, something like that. So it was nonstop, as you know, your mom um, at that stage. But I did feel this real urge to put something down. And I'd always been writing, you know, writing wasn't new. That was my way of uh, living, thinking as to write. So I'd been a diary writer, journal writer. I'd been writing articles through my teens. Um, so putting things down on paper wasn't a new thing, but the purpose was very much to invite people who were at a particular different difficult place and to connect with them which is why I have things like the myriad voices that I wrote to just try and connect with what might be going through their mind before presenting ayah, translated ayahs of Quran um, that was one reason and I think the second reason was I wasn't finding inspiring books for women in English um, you know, we lived near an Islamic bookshop in London at the time, and I'd keep going, hopefully, and looking for something I could buy to give this person or that person. And they were quite um, didactic, um, almost quite fearful. Um, they generate a, a lot of rules, regulations, but what about sort of the heart and the essence of, um, of our faith, which is so beautiful and so life giving? I was finding publications which were a bit the opposite. So th those were two big reasons. Um, and when I look back, just to finish answering that question, I think myself personally, I didn't realize it at the time, but now when I look back, um, it was a time probably where my life was changing quite a bit, being a very busy mom. And I think we're in a process where we've got to keep reevaluating our lives and seeing what's our purpose, resetting our own compass and um, following you know what we know in text and theory but actually following it through as our stages of life change so i think um, it was a mixture of all those things oh jazakallah karen 
Um, and so just to, uh, so that we, we understand your background, like were you born in the UK and like, what, was it your parents who came to the UK? Yeah, Fatima, I was born here. Um, my parents came from Bangladesh in the 60s. And um, so I was born here in the 70s. And um, mashallah, always lived here, gone to school here, went to Church of England schools and Catholic schools, actually, which I think had an effect on me, a good effect, actually, because they keep a, a level of spirituality alive through your school day. So I was very grateful to have gone to those schools. Um, and yeah, so I grew up here and went through the conventional schooling, university and everything. And Islamic education wise, um, I didn't have the benefit of a very organized uh, Islamic education like there is around now. But Alhamdulillah, I was very fortunate that from about 16 onwards, there were many good role models um, and some opportunities to join youth organizations like Young Muslims. Um, I don't know if that was before your time, but uh, we had organizations with some really excellent teachers um, who were role models. And we didn't have that much access as people do now. Remember, this was a time of no internet, okay? So no YouTube books, none of that existed. It was all paper magazines, or you actually turn up in person at a talk. So Regent's Park Mosque was quite an important place to gather, yes. you know, twice, three times a year for a big conference. And then in between, Alhamdulillah, I was able to go to some halakas, but very organic, very much about just finding books, reading, um, sharing them in our locality with a small group of sisters and growing slowly, maybe a bit haphazardly, um, but growing in that way. So Alhamdulillah for what we had at that time. I'm grateful for it. There was such a blessing, wasn't there, um, Suma Appa, in those times? Because, you know, the people who used to organise these kinds of youth events, and I did go to some YM events, I remember, and like my parents used to take me to anything, everything and anything, you know, that um, was Islamic. We used to go to the UK Islamic Mission, we used to go to YM. I don't even know the names of all the different, you know, projects and things, but there was a real purity and sincerity in those projects because the resources were few, but you know, the passion was there. And and these were people always who really, they really cared because they really didn't have to do what they did, but they had the foresight to set up those those youth programs to keep us kind of, you know, on side, to keep us informed and, yeah, absolutely. so. Uh, mm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you've, you've summed it up really well, actually. Mm. Uh, this is exactly how it was. So when I think back, there are some people who set things up and I won't go into mentioning names because I'll, there's too many. So if I mention one, I'll be missing like 20, 30 other names. Um, but there were people who set things up and, I still to this day don't know what they look like, okay? but we benefited from their project. We benefited from the institutions that they set up um, and the sincerity, as you're saying. So there was nothing in it for them. There was no popularity in it for them. There was um, no awards they were going to get or recognition or accolades. It was so purely to continue the message of, you know, 
of knowledge and and living by Dean and having um, a real positivity. I think that's what attracted me a lot around that age of 16 and 17, when you are looking naturally for your identity and you are looking to fit in and you want uh, a peer group that you can identify with. So there were some wonderful people based in the Islamic Foundation in particular, um, when we would go for sort of three, four day, what we'd call youth camps and really lovely talks. And that was men and women who were delivering a very compassionate message to us, I would say, because that was the feeling I come away with even now, so many decades later, that there's a meaning and compassion in everything that they taught. Um, and at the same time, there was um, one organization, which I'm sure is before your time, it was a union of Muslim organizations, the UMO. Uh, I don't think it exists now, but that was something that was more into sort of lobbying and law and policies. But there was a youth wing as well. And uh, quite a few of us, not knowing anything much about it, went to a youth conference. And that was led by, actually, I will mention Dr. Saeed Pasha, may Allah have mercy on him and grant him Jannah. He passed away a few years ago. I mean, he actually led um, the UMO as well as a youth committee. And some of us joined that committee having just gone to one conference. I don't quite think we knew what we were doing, but you know, it sounded good. It sounded interesting. It sounded organized that we were going to have another youth conference every year. And I joined that committee. And I think that was what, probably one of the most pivotal things I could have done to help myself then. And I'm thankful for it because we really learned from the way he trusted the youth um, and the way he taught us um, about how to sort of run a meeting, official things, and how he'd just propel us into contact that MP, invite them to a conference, ring Oxford University, hire a place, you know, all of these functional things, which at that age, you just go along and do it. It's only looking back, you realize, wow, he really did kind of train you in, in, in very useful skills. And at the same time, um, there was this implicit trust. And I look back now, I think I didn't have a clue what I was doing, but he trusted us and he treated mm -hmm. us, you know, as like adults and we we're only about 16 or 17 years old. And um, yeah, I still look, re remember those meetings and I remember his uh, example with a lot of um, gratitude, actually. Yeah, it really makes you think, you know, that every generation has to pass something forward to the next, right? Um, right. It makes you realise that it's the little things that you might be doing, you know, the, the different points at which you're having some kind of contact with a young person mm. um, that might have such a big impact on their outlook and the, the way they practice Islam. So many sisters who I met um who actually moved away from islam and then rediscovered it later mm -hmm. on told me that one of the reasons was you know going to a madrasa where somebody treated them harshly right mm -hmm. um yeah. or islam being presented to them in such a kind of folkloric way right like as if it's uh, something unsophisticated and uh, not really relevant to the modern day so yeah to have any kind of mentors who who had the foresight to kind of understand what we needed as young people um, yeah. rather than just importing 
a cultural version of Islam, you know, yeah. uh, was a real blessing, I think. Absolutely, real blessing. And, you know, there's lots of um, funny memories I have as well of that time, partly because we, as very young, I'm talking 17, 18, you know, very um, volatile age, it could be, and also a very powerful age, uh, that we just didn't understand a lot of things, but we were trusted. Mm. And I think that works wonders when you start to trust young people and mm. you give them responsibility. Um, I remember just a small anecdote in, in one of those UMO youth meetings, the, well, probably the very first one when Dr. Pasha said, OK, we need to take minutes. And we were sort of looking at the clock. We didn't know what taking minutes was. You know, we didn't know so many things. And having that patience with us, that no, we're going to do things properly. And well, they're going to learn to do things properly, right up to people I look at now who are famous judges, who are, you know, well-known magistrates. And we were actually put in front of them at that time to talk to them, you know, to present to them what's our year's activities been. Again, we didn't realise the enormity of um, the opportunities we were being given, but we just enjoyed it and learned and went along. So... Yeah, I agree entirely. You do need people with that foresight. Mm, alhamdulillah. Yeah, because when one, if if Islam has not been presented to you in the right way, a lot of damage can be done, and then people find it really hard to then um, come back. You know, to regain that yeah that um, the right understanding. You know, once um, as a young person, it's been presented to you in in the wrong way yeah so khairan for sharing that with us i'm going to turn to your book now uh, it's, it's really beautifully presented i don't know if you can see this brothers and sisters but there are so many beautiful sections and what i love about it is it's almost like you're taking the reader gently by the hand and saying let me tell you let me show you what islam is let me show you what your creator has said about you what he has for you and it's in such a gentle way uh, the reason why that kind of stands out is that you know in our times we've kind of gotten into quite a combative approach to discussing islam you know sometimes because i think muslims always feel under attack so so some of the books and some of the things that we we see writings about they're often very kind of defensive or you know like uh, as if they're a reaction to something rather than saying well let me show you another way uh, and i love the title you know reawakening the woman's heart and soul one of the sections that um i'm just going to uh highlight is the youth section you know what was the importance of this section to you you know you you have a you say myriad voices fortunate am i to receive the treasures of youth Time delivers the gifts of strength, health, and opportunity to cultivate mind and soul. O oh, most bounteous, lead me to use these gifts to please you, the source of all goodness, the protecting friend. It's very poetic, mashallah. Um, yeah, tell me about this section. Yeah, okay. So just in case... Um, listeners don't realize that it actually starts from the inception of the soul through childhood and then youth is I think third or fourth chapter 
and then mm. it goes on through the stages right till the end of life so um yeah youth is a, a spe i think every stage of life is special but it's a mm. particularly interesting stage and I, I suppose because i've always worked with young girls um I've just about all my life I've worked with young girls in the supplementary sector especially and so I have a connection and a bond with them more because it's such a time of opportunity it's mm. uh, you know islamically you become accountable you know when you're reach a certain age mid-teens a bit earlier a bit later for some but you become accountable so that's a huge weight on the one hand you know your speech what you're doing the choices you're making you can't any longer be um treated as a child islamically but you're still growing and your hormones all over the place and there's still so much to learn that it's this very delicate mix but a very powerful mix and with this age group i just think there's so much potential and mashallah they do impress me all the time with the initiatives they come out with young people um the things they lead the the charity work they do for example but at the same time it's a very tough and difficult phase especially now i think we all went through our own personal little hardships or struggles when you're 13 14 15 you start to figure things out a bit around 16 17 but I think particularly now, um, I feel the mixture of ideas, the speed at which things change, the whole online web life, as well as mm. real life, and how they overlap, how they contradict sometimes, sometimes they help one another, those two areas of life. But it makes it um, a really difficult phase, particularly now to navigate, unless, as I say in the book, you get your compass straight. And by compass, I mean you get your direction clear with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you really take the time in your youth to build that bond and to build that um, love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's very simple, it's like nothing, nothing complicated, but to build a love for him and his messengers and his prophets and the last messenger and with that bond then this kind of um slightly stormy phase of life can be a lot more um fulfilling and a lot less painful there will be tests there's there's no taking that away from this phase of life or from any phase of life but my emphasis really in this chapter is think for yourself, you know, be a critical thinker. Think mm -hmm. about um, who you are, think about the influences upon you, think about who you're influencing, um, think about what the purpose of your life is. Not that you can plan everything, but really take the, the beautiful direction we've been given. We're not left without a map, okay? We've been given the map. Um, and it's really for youth to try and with the help of so many people around them, so many resources to try and navigate their way. Because I think they, they, you know, they are super intelligent at this age as well. They've got everything buzzing um, and that can go in two directions, as you know, you're a mom as well. So having raised young people as well, we can see the challenges firsthand. It's not easy. Yeah, I think it's it's really easy for our generation to think the ne this generation growing up 
uh, have it so much easier than us, you know, because <laughs> I, I think it, it's very tempting to think like that because, you know, I don't think on the one side, I don't think they have the blatant Islamophobia and, or racism to deal with that, that there was, um, you know, with us growing up. Uh, also the kind of being the only girl wearing hijab type thing and, you know, they don't have that to deal with most most of the time now because hijab has become quite normal. Um, being a Muslim has become quite normal now, you know, in the UK and in the West. But on the one hand, you know, they've got it easier, it seems, uh, because they don't have to ha face those challenges. On the other hand, I feel like some of those challenges we faced are actually what made us, you know? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It, th those challenges are what made us value Islam in the first place. Uh, because when somebody's racist towards you, when somebody, you know, makes you feel different, it kind of makes you ask yourself, well, actually, yeah, who am I? You know, what is my identity? What what do I stand for? Yeah. And I think for a lot of our generation, that's what kind of drove us to then look into Islam properly and be interested in Islam. For this generation, I don't want to say Islam's been handed to them on a plate, but <laughs> it does feel like that sometimes, you know, because our generation is so kind of eager for them to have amazing Eids and amazing, an amazing experience of Ramadan. And, you know, uh, they're learning Quran from a young age, learning Arabic, you know, a lot of kids now. And yeah, everything is being given to them. You would think that, you know, they have the optimal kind of uh, situation in a way, right? Living in the West, in an affluent country, but at the same time, with a lot of Islamic resources now, a lot of Islamic books, a lot of Islamic media even, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but I still feel very fearful for this generation. I don't know, like, yeah. I, I can identify. Yeah, I, I can identify with what you're saying, um, Astada. And I think I would put it in two ways. I think I just recently wrote about this as well, that in, but from a mother's perspective, that on the one hand, the functional things are easier. So if you take just school, for example, the halal meals or dress or these functional things or having um, a day off on Eid or having some better understanding about Ramadan, those things are definitely easier. And, and actually you sum them up really well and then there's a lot more resources. But what's harder, I find, um, and I face this with my children as well, is the psychological struggle. And the internal struggle is a lot harder, which we didn't face. Um, we didn't face the events in the world um, while we were growing up. It was a relatively relatively more peaceful time. And I'm being a bit myopic here I'm, and saying, you know, for where we are in England, it was relatively more peaceful. I know there was a lot of bubble around the world. Um, so that's just a sort of disclaimer about that. But they are facing, and I've seen this with all my children, mashallah, in their 20s now, and the youngest just turned 20 as well. And the amount of time as a mother I'm spending, and I have done, dealing with the internal, dealing with how they digest the next, you know, atrocity that happens in the world that's 
portrayed as being a product of their faith. And this is really quite difficult, damaging, troublesome. Um, it, it's, it's a lot of baggage they've carried and they hear it in much more nuanced ways now. So whereas before in the 70s, 80s, there may have been straight up racism, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like if I was walking with a Hindu Sikh friend, you know, we're all Asian, we get the same abuse, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. and it was like the same name calling, like big deal done. And that was damaging in its own way, but that was it. Now, what I get from the young girls that I teach as well, because they're always teenagers, is that it's a lot more nuanced, um, subtle, mm. and more damaging messages they're getting, even sometimes through school, through teachers, through society, through the news. Um, and it, it, it's insidious. Mm. And much harder to put your finger on as a parent as well, unless you've got kids who are going to open up and say, um, and then give you an opportunity to almost heal and correct and undo the damage. So I think, you know, when I think what have I been doing for years, a lot of my hours, months and time has gone on undoing um, messages that are out there. And they're not, they're not on billboards. They're not yeah. headlight, you know, it, it's, it's quite subtle stuff um, around your your whole faith and mm. quite a few of us have as parents discussed this as well as teachers as well you know you could be driving your child to school teenager and uh, you've got radio the radio one um and i had this particular experience which i've just written about and it will come out in the next book inshallah where i had radio four on and it was the moral maze and there was a representative from um our community discussing Islamic topics and you know he was very good mashallah um, but the tone of the presenter it was so difficult to listen to because every single thing that this community representative said was just put down or you know really on the verge of ridiculed um, and I was looking at my daughter in the back seat and she was probably about I think about 17, 18, something like that, at that age. And I could see the effect it was having on her. And I'm just looking in the rear view mirror and I'm not putting it off either because I wanted to hear it. And she was listening too. And she just said, you know, they're not listening to a word he's saying. And mm. we, she and I didn't exchange much about it. I was dropping her, it was Ramadan. I was dropping her to a friend's iftar. And, um, you know, I dropped her off and she was really happy, excited. She's going to stay the night there. And they hadn't seen each other, these four friends. So I didn't want to open this conversation up then when she was quite happy about where she was going. But when I came back as an adult, as the parent, it had such a, uh, ne a negative effect on me. I can't sort of pretend it was easy or that I could cope with it. And I felt, you know, if I can't cope with this, how's my daughter feeling? And we did discuss it later. Um, and and this is just you know one tiny drop, but they, they keep hearing these things. And so the young mm. people now have a lot to deal with. Yeah, so there's this like drip, one drip hand. effect, right? There's yeah. a drip, drip effect of subliminal messages being given that, you know, it's not really okay to be a Muslim. It's not really okay to believe yeah strongly in certain things or 
you know, yeah, I, I can see that. Very um, tough in that sense. Uh, and then they've got on the other side their own age group and the messages that are out there on the internet and all of that to deal with, which we didn't have. So mm. I feel really And also great. the distractions, wouldn't you say? The, the Just the in, immense amount of distraction that there is because, you know, just even if you're somebody who's quite careful and, and doesn't just hand over devices to your kids, um, at some point they do get those devices because, you know, they're getting older and they yeah, they need course. them, et cetera. And they have to kind of learn to become responsible with those devices, right? Like you can't Absolutely. just completely. But just reflecting on how addictive those devices are and how distracting um subhanallah you just kind of sometimes worry you know like do we really understand the effect the mental health effect that these the constant mm -hmm. images the dopamine hits you know constant need for entertainment and a new thing novelty you know we don't really the know the long-term effect of that's going to be so much pressure on again i keep talking about girls because that's who i my no, no, fine, exchanges yeah. with a lot um and there's the huge amount of pressure on girls how to look and how the effect look, yeah. on their physical emotional mental health is huge and that's not just it's almost becoming a cliche to say that but i can say it from you know first-hand experience of 20 well, more than that 25 years with in the community with young girls like literally every weekend um and it's changed our conversations have completely changed from 10 20 years ago to now and the things that they're what kinds, of, what kinds of conversations would you say or so, questions do they have the, the biggest issue maybe 20 years ago in our islamic class would be oh you know can you explain why 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 we don't have boyfriends or something like that you know be quite mm -hmm. straightforward and mm -hmm. now that's like the least of the issues. Now it's things about self-harm, eating disorders. Um, really? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Without me inviting these questions. And I'm very happy that they will bring them up of, them, of their own uh, free will. Um, we, will study, we could be studying Sira. We could be doing meaning of a Sura. We could be doing... Um, actual acts of ibadah, right? But we always used to, in the classes I was running with other sisters, have a space for about 10, 15 minutes where they could bring anything up. And so these are the things that they are in contact with daily and they want to talk about them. Mm. Uh, you know, and we've had to then really like stretch ourselves and get in contact with mental health charities to educate ourselves, to bring them in sometimes to talk to parents um but the landscape is what i'm saying is so much harder now um so i do feel for mm. the young people um mashallah there's some amazing energy out there and i have a lot of respect for them too um because i see you know i see their their abilities coming out in so many beautiful ways but at the same time, I also see the challenges that they face. So yes, coming back to the youth chapter, it's it, it's a subtle um, trying to be a subtle friend to them, really, in that chapter, and saying, you know, have your own stall um, set out in terms of your relationship with Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. 
to help you navigate through all of this, which is not easy. Yeah, subhanAllah, it really goes to show that I think the spaces are needed, aren't they? Like the, the yeah. space for young people to speak about these things and not feel embarrassed or, you know, I think when we were younger, there were certain topics that you wouldn't really ever bring up in front of your elders, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, but now with this generation, we've just got to really be open. We've got to, yeah. we've got to allow them to talk about everything. Um, yeah, there is no choice. There is no choice yeah. because the World Wide Web is what it is, right? Yes. So um, that's there. That's not going anywhere. And there's a lot of benefits that come with that too, of course. We mustn't forget, you know, we're doing this yeah. on through yeah. technology. Um, yeah. And we've all gained a lot from technology as well, alhamdulillah. It's keeping that balance and keeping um, the space open for them. Because our, our deen doesn't exclude anything. So why should we, you know? Moving on to the section in your book about, um, I think you've called it, the age of wisdom, right? Yeah. Treasures in the sea. Uh, yes. And I think this is this, the section about, uh, you know, coming into older age and the value of being an older person SubhanAllah, like we're living in a time, aren't we, when um, youth, being youthful is worshipped, right? Like, and anything, anything that kind of shows that you're getting older or that you've left youth behind now is, is like seen as something negative. And, you know, people literally spend millions of pounds and, you know, thousands of pounds on treatments and things to just to make themselves look younger to dress younger to act younger and that reverence for youth for sorry that reverence for old age that used to be there is slowly being lost or it's maybe it's already been lost you know um actually maybe during the pandemic a lot more people are kind of starting to realize the value of the older generation you know because um, people have been distancing themselves and try to try to keep elderly relatives safe. I think they've really, it's really like awakened people to how important um, older people are in our lives. Um, why was this section important to you? And have, have you had elder people, you've already mentioned some mentors. Um, have you had people in your life who you were thinking of when you wrote this? Yeah, um, yeah, it's a very special section, um, special stage of life, uh, very much for the reasons Ustada, that you've mentioned um, already, in that it's how we as a society view the, our elders. Okay? Mm. Now, again, socially, the pandemic has shown it's taken a while to actually center the elders as being a priority. It wasn't the first thing. And we saw, you know, tragically, the amount of loss of life. Um, that happened through care homes and through places where, you know, elders were most vulnerable. And, and that's a reflection, sadly, that in society, even before, well before the pandemic, that there's this move towards elder people not really being seen as valuable assets in our communities. I'm talking about 
indigenous across the board. Um, yes. And, you know, alhamdulillah, there are, there's still a level of respect and reverence, I think, within a lot of um, minority communities for the elders, as well as the indigenous community. But it's certainly not the norm. And uh, it is something that we need to be concerned about because when I, well, any of us look Islamically, it's very clear. There's no confusion about interpretation where the standard of the elderly is um, from the Quran and Hadith. And it is, they are the most respected, the, uh, they're called like the Murabbi, they're called the, the honored teachers. And it is a hard stage for them because they themselves are weakening physically. Um, we hear about dementia now much more on the news um, and, and there's a lot more awareness, but there's so many challenges to them. Yet at the same time, they are you know, complete wells and treasure houses of knowledge, experience, wisdom that we need to really value um, and to give that position to again in society because it's very not just England I talk to friends and relatives around the world you know a very good friend in Islamabad said to me well there's a lot of care homes here too you know right. yeah there are old people's homes here their children are in America or Canada or in they're overseas there's no one to look after them and so it's not something where I'm saying it's a western um, society problem it's a problem globally that we need to talk about, so I'm glad we're talking about it, to, to give that honor and that centering of the elderly as the most sort of valuable part of our community, just like we do to young children who are also in need. Yes. There's parallels between very little children who need a lot of physical support, who need care, protection. The elderly need exactly the same. And, um, but they also have a lot of wisdom and knowledge to impart to us. Um, and the second thing that uh, I tried to emphasize in that chapter as well is that the, it's quite a clear call on what we're meant to do, and that's give company. Mm. Very, very beautifully. And it's only as we age ourselves that you realize, I didn't understand that probably, I don't know, 20 years ago. I would have just glossed over it that, oh, yeah, you know, respect elders and look after them, serve them. But the word company, I don't think it's sunk in to my brain until I've mm -hmm. seen my own mom aging um, and elders around, so friends, parents, friends, in-laws. And really what they crave is company. And it's so beautiful in the Quran, the way that we're told, you know, lower the wing of humility to them. And, yeah. and because we are strong and you really see it when you're in the company of the elderly that, we have the strength, physical, mental, agility and everything, and they don't. And so the need for that humility then needs to be called out as it is in the Quran. SubhanAllah, mm. it's, it's amazing. And again, I, I just, each year that goes by, I understand it a bit more. I can't say I've understood it completely, but um, giving company is so important. And again, when I come back to the youth, I think this is a struggle that we have to make them realize this as well. Yes, that yes. Um, it's in, that part of their lives should include the importance to the elders around them, whether that's grandparents or elderly neighbors, elderly family friends, whoever's in our lives. Um, it, it's so important to bring that up. Um, and it's not always easy as a parent. 
Um, you have to have some difficult conversations. Sometimes you have to call your own kids out and say, hang on, if you're doing a lot of this, 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 and this, which are all good too, might be charity, might be friends, might be whatever. Yeah. That's the time and space for the elderly. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't always make um, a popular conversation starter with your own kids as they're growing up. But we have to do that, you know, if we want to yeah. make sure that we're um, protecting the, the, their position. Yeah, and especially the elderly <clears throat> within within their own families, right? Like, subhanAllah, that's it's so true. Like, one of the things that I did uh, in order to, because when, when the kids were younger, they were always at my parents' house and, you know, they're always with their grandparents. They love their grandparents they it's almost like when they're younger they they have an even stronger connection with the grandparents yeah. because i think they know that they can get away with so much <laughs> i think it's because they they feel that you know they they really drawn to those who really love them right yeah. um and as they get older uh, as with everybody you know you 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 join the rat race, <laughs> you know, you're, you're busy, you're just, there's so many things you could be doing at any one time. It takes a level of slowing down, hugely becoming yeah. mindful, and mm -hmm. we're not used to that anymore, right? Uh, to kind of meet older people at where the level or the, the level of energy, I would say, that they're at, you know? But I think it's such a valuable thing to learn. So one of the things that I, I did was when my son was looking for a job and he wanted to like, well, he just wanted some money, right? Um, I said to him, why don't you phone Nana, you know, and ask him like um, if he's got any jobs, because I'm sure he's got a lot of office work in his own home office. Uh, and he did. And then, you know, my dad took one of my sons on uh with you know what he did he got them to sort out all of the family photos scan them all and arrange them all you know so you know all those kinds of jobs that that he probably wish he could do but he didn't have the time to do he started getting my sons to do those brilliant and i've seen such an amazing relationship develop between them absolutely because yeah. of that working together my dad doesn't mind paying him you know <laughs> he yeah. probably wants to give him money anyway you know but this way he gets to get some work as well and you know it's mutually beneficial but that mentorship relationship you know um it's almost like a quiet mutually respectful relationship that sometimes they don't have with their parents you know because parents tend to be the ones telling them off and pointing out all their faults and telling them what needs fixing up and but with grandparents it's like a certain level of acceptance absolutely uh, that they have of the young people and i've just found that so valuable and i, I would really encourage our brothers and sisters out there definitely you know, to think of ways of connecting the younger generation with the older mm. generation because subhanallah you know my in-laws have passed away and i just from when they passed away i, I really realized that you know you you miss the stories you miss the Brilliant. wisdom you miss the kind of there's so much you know yeah. like I, I, I encourage my kids to just ask nani about her childhood mm. just ask yeah. her about what's yeah. what it was like in india blah 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 you know anything just have those conversations and 
just absorb yeah, absolutely everything. yes and and it does so much good i did exactly the same um my father's passed mm. away may allah have mercy on him grant him jannah I mean, um, so he was very close as well to my children. And Alhamdulillah, I have in-laws, but they're very far away. They're in the Caribbean. So my children, Alhamdulillah, still have a good, very good relationship with them. But it's a bit harder because they're so far away. Um, and, and doing this is just so valuable for your parents as well. So when we're saying, yes. you know, do the hard work is that we're the sandwich generation. <laughs> we've yeah. got the responsibilities for those younger than us we've got the responsibilities for those older than us and it's hard i would never for a moment say this is easy it's a struggle i struggle every single day with keeping up with the elderly relatives of my my own family my my parents friends um who they care about a lot and i know i haven't contacted it's a struggle it's not easy um but it's worth it to have the, and you know it takes some cajoling the young lot it's not always easy with them either because their lives as you said are fast everything's fast <laughs> everything's you know it, there's excitement and there's quick things and there's technology to connect them up with friends and all of this and it does take it takes a lot of diplomacy it takes so many skills to get the grandparent grandchild thing going and, and also on a community level, mashallah, we've got very, very blessed to have an excellent mosque near us. And um, they started an elderly's lunch club, some brothers and sisters there who are very good at this type of thing. Um, and it was open to the whole community. So you had people from all different walks of life coming along. This was before the pandemic for about a year, I think it was going or maybe less. And then it had to shut naturally with the lockdowns. But it was such a beautiful initiative, and inshallah, will carry on. Where uh, different neighbours just saw that that there was this lunch club, they'd seen the poster in the GPs, or they'd got a flyer through their door, and they came along, and you know, they really enjoyed their meal. They enjoyed talking to each other, and bit by bit, young people from the mosque, teenagers, started volunteering and helping out there, and that was just the most beautiful thing to see because. Both sides were just loving, you know, both age groups, not sides, sorry. Both age groups were loving each other's interaction mm. because they both have so much to gain from each other. So there's a lot we can do and there's a lot of good things going on. Um, but it's just, uh, I think, focusing on them and being intentional to make things like that happen or to join on board with a small initiative that's local it doesn't have to be massive grand things but um i certainly value the elderly in my life mashallah who whoever is there some friends parents um you know i love talking to them because of their stories mostly um i don't have any of my own grandparents but when my nanny was alive and she would come and stay with us on in between bangladesh and america and the trips that she'd do I had a little bit of her time towards my late teens and it was probably the most valuable time um, and I've written some of those myriad voices are definitely coming from things my grandmother said to me, my nanny said to me um, and the stories, you know, I would share a bedroom with her and she would spend at least about an hour doing Isha and then reading and then after that she would start with her stories and they were all really... Uh, when I look back, they were all really instructive. 
I don't know if they were true or not, but she'd say all this, this <laughs> in our neighborhood. And there were stories about marriage. There were stories about who did get along and who didn't get along and why they did get along and why they didn't get along. And, um, you know, I was just taking it up as a sort of 19 year old then. But then later I realized she was actually teaching me a lot of absolutely golden nuggets of life experience, which I'm so grateful for now. Uh, and I've used, uh, mashallah, I've been married for ages, like approaching our third decade this year, inshallah. So uh, my nanny stories were ways of teaching me about relationships and married life. And um, it's is wonderful. And it's always stuck. <laughs> we have a lot to gain from them. Definitely. It's so, so enriching, isn't it? One of the things that I, I think I would really encourage everyone to do out there, if your parents, especially if your parents are still with us, is to actually go out of your way to interview them and record yourself interviewing them, like even just on your phone or whatever. Mm. And especially with the older men in our lives, because what I found is that my mom told me a lot of stories growing up, you know. I think I know everything about my mom, <laughs> pretty much, you know, because moms, we are like that, aren't we? Like we, we yeah. tend to tell our kids about our childhoods and you know, what happened in, when we were at school and this and that, you know, they know all the little things about us and they learn a lot from that. But I don't think they always get that opportunity with the dads and with the granddads, you know. Mm. Um, and uh, it occurred to me at one point that, I think I know a lot about my dad, but I don't really, I've never actually heard him tell me about mm. himself, you know? So one day I, I just got my tape, my phone, iPhone. I said, dad, I'm gonna interview. I, I wanna ask you things about your life. Maybe I'll write a memoir one day, you know, <laughs> or something. Sure. And it took a lot of effort because I remember one of the first questions I asked him was, so what do you remember about your childhood, like when you were really young, when you were like a kid? What's your earliest memory? Mm -hmm. Do you know, the first thing he said to me was, why Why do you need to know that? <laughs> you know, he was like, why do you need to know that? He said, you know, there's some things it's better to forget about. And subhanAllah, um, when he said that, I thought, wow, you know, like, and and over time, you know, he did start talking and he started. And one of the things I realized is, Sometimes, especially in the very early part of their childhood, there might be some very difficult things. Yeah. You know, there might have been some really challenging times and some really, mm -hmm. and, and, and that generation tended not to talk about those things, you know, and, and really yeah. share, you know, their feelings and all that kind of stuff. So it, it can be a bit hard to talk about, but just knowing like the origins of your parents and, the, that generation, what it was like for them growing up, how did they end up in the UK? You know, what was that journey? Really important. How did it even start? And knowing all those little things, it's like you actually get to know about yourself, right? You get to know like where you came from and yeah. how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala caused the, what I like to say is, you know, Allah caused the universe to conspire to, to put you where you are today, you know? Completely, you yeah. know that unless you speak to those people of that generation and as far back as you can. And they feel useful. 
See, something that I come across a lot with the elderly is they feel useless if they're not included um, in different ways. You know, everybody's different. Some yeah. are more hands-on. They want to be included with doing things, some with talking, some with um, being bystanders and just sort of observing, but they want to be included. And so whatever the means is to center them in our communities, then Alhamdulillah, not only are we doing them a lot of good, but we're also gaining a lot. And ultimately, it comes back to there's no choice about this either. Yes. See, Islamically, there's no choice about this. Absolutely. Uh, and this is something that I've had to sort of hammer home with my kids, that it's not whether you feel like something or you want to do something. Yep. This is central, you know, to yes. our Islamic social uh, architecture. Yes. And, you know, even if you take the religion label out of it, it's for the benefit of any community. Uh, where you put people, people are going to age. England has got a very uh, big aging population. Um, and so I've seen some projects are really lovely where, but they're, they're few and far between, but I think they can be replicated where they've put um, university students in accommodation right next to a care home and the the connection is that they go and look after or <laughs> look after <laughs> as well as yeah occupy the elderly and the relationship's been wonderful there's actually studies done about it um and the same has happened with some some part of england i can't remember which one where they've got little children going in to a care home or to an elderly home, not necessarily a care home, to a place where there's elderly. And again, having a regular connection has benefited the elders a lot. So mm. there's so many ways open. There's so many uh, creative ways we can do more. But um, the fact is, alhamdulillah, like we're just talking about it today, we need to have many more of these conversations. So it's part of yes. our discussion. Um, and we're not um excluding them from the agenda of what's important in our lives yeah subhanallah and you know i think even if yeah like you said you know even if you can't see any particular benefit in you know any gain for you for example in uh kind of connecting with an elderly person the point is that it's our duty to right and Absolutely. we've got to do it we've it's not a negotiable it's non-negotiable and just as you said you know we we tend to make time for children and we think to ourselves you know okay like especially when when we become mums you know mm -hmm. we are going to devote ourselves to this task for a certain number of years especially when they're young and and really in a lot of need mm -hmm. but when the older generation are getting older we Unfortunately, people can tend to see them as an inconvenience rather than just as much of a duty, you know, to kind of serve them as it was to serve our children, if not more. Yes, yeah, precisely. Yeah. And and it gives, a, I think it's important that we acknowledge it's hard. Um, yes. And I'm honest that it is hard when you're responsible for a lot of different age groups uh, and I think a lot of this does fall on mothers you know it does uh, there are some great mothers and father teams that manage it all 
but um, it's just the way of society a lot does work and it is difficult it's not easy and it is a struggle but if we're open about that then at least we're able to exchange and support and uh, encourage each other i know a lot of my conversations with friends now is about exactly that how to help each other and motivate each other and you know because you come problems crop up it's not straightforward but inshallah the intention is there is to do our best sincerely um and, and, and also i think life sorry say that again and, and to have a balanced life at the end of the day it, it's about balancing everybody's needs yes 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 and i guess also bearing in mind that you know subhanallah we're we are also going to be elderly one day right exactly. inshallah if allah gives us life and the way we would want the younger generation to interact with us is the way we should be interacting with them. Exactly. I, 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 I've noticed that a lot of like the older people in my family, um, they really don't want drama anymore. You know, they like past that. They don't. <laughs> they don't want dramatic things happening. They just absolutely. <laughs> they just want <laughs> a bit of peace. You know, and and they want positive things. They want positivity. And sometimes, uh, like when you're a bit younger, you still got a lot of drama going on, you know, and <laughs> it can be quite <laughs> volatile, dramatic, etc., etc. But I think we have to be really conscious. Like, one of the things that I try to do, um, I'm not always successful, but I try, is um, to think to myself when I'm uh, meeting my parents, for example, um, that I'm just going to make them laugh, you know. Oh, like, that's lovely. Yeah. Like, during that, that meeting, however, whatever the length of time is that I'm going to be meeting them, I just want my mom to be happy and laughing. Like I want to tell her stories or make the mood such that yeah. it's light, you know? Mashallah. Because there's so many other types of energy out there, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, why not I be can identify with that? that yeah, I, I see my mom. Yeah. Alhamdulillah, she's right nearby, so I see her more or less every day. Alhamdulillah, mm. and it's just, I completely identify with what you're saying is that the time we spend try and make it happy, and sometimes they can be quite negative as well, right? Yeah, mm. as a reality across the board, some elderly can feel quite low, quite lonely, especially with the whole pandemic. They can feel quite um, like what's going to happen, they can feel scared, and so. There's a role we've got to try and help them as well. And and it works both ways. You know, sometimes I go to visit my mom because she's so nearby, mashallah, I can just go every day. But um, And I'll have things on my mind and I will offload sometimes, say, oh, mom, there's this, 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 what do I do about this? And then she'll give me really good advice. Or she'll mm. just listen and say, oh, it's not really that big a problem. And that yeah. just helps. <laughs> it's <laughs> you know, true. They have the, they have that kind of, um, you know, panoramic view, don't they, of life, and so uh, they can kind of say, well, who cares? It doesn't matter, you know. Yeah, but but also, I think sometimes, also sometimes, I think our generation has to be patient, you know, because. Uh, sometimes the older generation do want to tell you off or do want to tell you oh, what yes. where you're going wrong <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and how much better they were. <laughs> yeah, I, and it's a cultural thing too. Um, culturally, um, you know, sometimes 
my mum's greeted will be, oh, you didn't do this or you haven't done that or why are you wearing this? And that's yeah. not something I take offence from. It's their way. It's that cultural right. way of communicating. They're not actually trying to be negative. It's just I think understanding part of, part of, What I mean is like part of um, lowering the wing of humility is allowing certain things to slide you know like Absolutely. not taking every little thing personally and like because even just reflecting on the way I am with my kids I I don't it doesn't matter if they're 18 or 20 or whatever age I'm still mom you know I'm I, yes. I still <laughs> and I'm still going to be telling them where they're going wrong right so it's the same thing right it doesn't matter if you're 40 or 50 or whatever like your mom and dad are still going to be, you know, yeah. they still see you as their child, you know, so. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. My mom told me there's no way I'm going walking in the rain the other day. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. the age doesn't come into it. They're your mom. No. And, you know, yeah. I laughed it off. I got the umbrella and I went. But it was just sort of yeah. that. Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, we're blessed to have them, their company. And um, I think exactly. it's it's just, and I'm really grateful to you, mashallah, Sada, that you've made time and space to talk about the elderly today. There's mm -hmm. this as well, using platforms to remember them, to give them the honor and space and to raise the awareness. Yeah, and even if your parents have passed away, like one of the things that our deen encourages is when a person's father or mother has passed away, that you should actually keep in touch with your parents' friends, subhanAllah, yes. right? I mean, yep. that's just amazing. When I when I read that, I was like, subhanAllah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has allowed us to continue honoring our parents by keeping in contact with their friends. Because yep. it's so easy to forget those friends, but those friends yep. meant so much. To, yes. to your parents or your in-laws or you know the elderly um the elders and, and it's a struggle um you know even no. yesterday i remember yesterday being friday just thinking there's a, there's an auntie i really need to phone who's mm -hmm. uh, the wife of my father's really good friend and i'm feeling as guilty as anything because i have kept remembering and kept forgetting um and mm -hmm. so the struggle goes on, but it's uh, the reward is so much, and it's it's such a emotionally as well a really beautiful connection when you do make yes. that contact with a parent who's passed away, their friends, their friends. Yeah. yeah. So there's just like ripples and ripples of benefit in it, and they're so obviously they become so happy to hear from you. Um, so yeah, that's that's a very good reminder, and I'm quite yeah, sure. And I, and I think, um, I think what you know, we just have to change our mindset, isn't it? Like I was just thinking that we make time for so many things, like when we really want to, and and I think it is part of that whole disease of needing to do things publicly. You know, like now people when they're giving some money to charity, they they're sort of filming themselves, you know, talking to really? a homeless person. Or, you know, I mean, we've got to that sort of stage now where where people are so conscious of 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 needing public validation you know but this thing of contacting your parents relative uh, friends these are things that only Allah is really going to know about you know that you're doing and you're going to do it for the sake of Allah so in a way it's a very sincere pure act yeah. and I think just as we make time to do 
volunteerism, you know, all kinds of things that people see us doing and we get a lot of kind of uh, maybe public um, uh, recognition for. We've also got to make time for those things that nobody really knows about no what we're doing. And it's not necessarily always enjoyable, Estada. That's yes. the other truth. You know, I'm all for just saying it as it is. Um, no, I'm glad you're saying it. Yeah. it. It's not always fun because you can't always do things that please ourselves either. It's like sadaqa, isn't it? It's like sadaqa. Yeah. We have to see it as sadaqa, as an act of charity. You Whether you do it or not, yeah. you, you, know, you, yeah. you do it. Mm. You do it and uh, without expecting that it's going to tick boxes for yourself necessarily um but it's alhamdulillah it, it's an important part of a balanced healthy community society family um so yeah thank you so much uh suma appa uh, you've today you've you've drawn our attention to uh the youth and you've drawn our attention to the elderly uh and i hope our listeners and viewers out there will you know, just take the time to reflect. Who are the young people who you could reach out to? Who are the young people, apart from your children, you know, even? Um, are there other young people who need your mentorship and your support? Ah, uh, oh, before I forget, um, I wanted to show you this book because I believe that the author of the book is um, has been a mentor to you. Uh, this <laughs> this was a book that really changed my life. Can you, this is the old print, can you imagine? Yes, still got it. Islam, the natural way by Abdul Wahid Hamid. Yeah. Um, and the reason why I wanted to bring it up is because we were talking about mentors as well. And, yeah. you know, I found this book as a 13 year old uh, on my dad's shelf. And I'd just come back from school and, you know, people were asking me all sorts of questions about Islam. And, you know, I, I was asking myself, well, how I actually did like, want to know how do we explain to people about God you know how do we explain these things and and I remember just seeing this book on my dad's shelf and thought wow Islam the natural way just the title of it was like mm. yeah it's the natural way you know it's not a religion you know <laughs> it's the natural way I just loved that yeah. and I remember so just it so easy. It. yeah and the way it kind of took me on a journey going from it's almost like from first principles isn't it like absolutely yeah you found, yourself in, the world. You found mm. yourself in the world now what are you going to do as a human right you know and it takes you through that mental journey and for a teenager who really needed to be able to articulate and understand that for myself mm. it was just like subhanallah after reading this book I was like alhamdulillah I have absolutely no doubt that this theme is, you know, the deen of Allah and that we have to share it, you know, subhanAllah. So tell, tell me about thing. Yeah. Right. So I, I just love seeing that cover. I have to take mine out. <laughs> this, inshallah. Yeah, I was probably about, uh, when I came across that, older, so about, yeah, 17, came across it in a bookshop near Regent's Park Mosque. Um, and okay. it had the same effect on me. Wow. I really, really gained a lot from it. I gained, because as I said to you in the beginning, I didn't have formal Islamic education. It was read this, go to this, go to that. So this book crystallized so much for me, alhamdulillah. And I remember um, I went back and bought two more copies to give to family. Yeah. And another one to give to a friend later on. I think about a year later, I was going to university, so I gave another one 
to a friend. And it just spoke to me so much. And I really gained, everything just came together. Exactly, um, yeah. And I didn't know who this was or anything, but as Allah willed, a few years later, I married his nephew. So, um, <laughs> again, I wow. meet Allah plans the way he plans, and subhanAllah, it's wonderful. Um, so, when I was putting Turning the Tide together, um, mm. I just initially got some ideas together, done in one or two chapters, and I we used to visit Uncle, Uncle Wahid, we call him, mashallah. Um, used to visit him quite regularly. We weren't too far away. We lived in London then, they lived in London. And I showed him very, very cautiously because his knowledge of Quranic Arabic is amazing. And subsequently after that, he's um, written full courses, uh, access to Quranic Arabic, graded steps, and you know, very, very deep. Companions, companions of the Prophet, that's right. Yeah. Two volumes, exactly. So there's that specialism he has both in terms of history, but also with Quranic Arabic. And so I wanted to be sure, because I was so worried and nervous. I've got this idea, but is it right? Is it wrong? Should you do this type of thing? And I showed him. And uh, mashallah, he was so supportive. He said, you know, there's real need, especially for young people, for this type of publication. Um, And I remember keep checking with him are you sure this is okay and he when I finished it and he did keep reassuring me but when I finished he went through every single translated ayah with a fine tooth comb I remember that um, weekend I think he came to stay with us and uh, he stayed up a lot of the night and said to me now you go to sleep you've got young children to look after and he went through every single page every translation um, and if I had put something that I had, I had put in a place where it wasn't the actual meaning. Um, you know, he showed me, told me, and I get out. But alhamdulillah, thanks to Uncle Wahid, turning the tide came out. Um, I don't think I would definitely, I wouldn't have had the confidence to do that on my own. So a lot of credit, mashallah, goes to him. And, uh, you know, so many people benefited from his work. Yeah, may Allah reward him always for that. And I've heard subsequently that a lot of people um, converted having read Islam yes. in that way, as well as other things, but it, mm. it made you know, pivotal change in their mind that actually this is not some new religion. This is just your natural disposition in terms of your relationship with God and his creation. So, alhamdulillah, I'm really grateful to you for remembering um, <laughs> work and also the effect and the mentorship I had to do Turning the Tide, um, thankfully, through, through his um, advice and through, yeah, through his guidance. But you see, again, that it really illustrates that gratitude that we need to have for that, for the previous generation, right? Because... Yeah. I remember once um, there was a somebody, a sheikh, who was um, kind of he he came to the UK a lot later, like you know, in the two thousands, and um, he was saying something, you know, like about the previous generation, something a bit critical, and I remember emailing him and saying, you know, like with all due respect, <laughs> you know, I was like with all due respect. Like you came to the UK at a time when it was easy to be a Muslim, you know, 
And you don't realize, but only a decade or two before that, you would never see a hijabi on the street. Like you're talking about, you're, you're criticizing the previous generation and certain aspects of the previous generation, not realizing that that generation made it easier for you to do anything that you're doing, you know? Yeah. Um, obviously I tried to say it in a nicer way than that, but, uh, you know, I'd really, it really like annoyed me, you know, that, uh, anyone of our generation would take it for granted mm. what those people had the foresight to do, you know, and it, it's not, it's, it's much easier now to get a book published. I mean, it's still difficult, right? Yeah, but it's much easier. Yeah. But yeah. to be that first generation who first thought of writing these books, you know, who first thought of building those masajid, who first thought of inviting imams and other Muslims to the UK and, you know, all the hard work that that generation did. And actually they sacrificed a lot. From what I could see at that, the younger years, um, they sacrificed a huge amount. They didn't have the resources. There's, there's certain pockets yeah. of the Muslim society now that have a lot of resources, not across the board. But, yes. um, you know, mashallah, there's, there's a lot of um, resources in some areas of the work that's being done, but there wasn't that much then at all. And mm -hmm. uh, so there's a lot of self-sacrifice and basically, you know, dedicating their life to establishing something. I'm thinking here when I'm saying this of like the Muslim Educational Trust in um, North London, yeah. I think it is, you know, and we gained so much from that book, the pink book yes. that everyone knows, Islam believes yeah. by um, yes. Professor Ghulam Sarwat. Now, again, I've never seen him, but I know yeah. his daughter really well, mashallah, but he yeah. dedicated his life to establishing a lot about Islamic education, education generally, um, and serving the community and laying those foundation blocks. But does anyone know? What he looks like or no <laughs> no yeah I, I i know his daughters as well you know they they were yeah, really key our childhood like they used to hold halakas and you know exactly. um, stuff like that mashallah but i don't i've never seen him but you're right like their books you know are, are the books that made us right and, and also, in the same breath, Ustad Khurum Marad, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I mean, a huge, huge effect, a positive effect, beautiful effect. I was very fortunate to go to his talks um, at the Islamic Foundation when I was younger. Um, and uh, very often he would be called to give us a fajr reminder or something because somebody else wasn't around or a speaker for the day didn't turn up and they were living there actually on site um, at different times of the year and those were probably till this day the most beautiful talks I've ever heard oh, uh, completely unprepared but then the person was a prepared person all the yes. time See, that's the difference mm -hmm. um, and the most loving beautiful beautiful nasiha messages which um, will stay with me always, inshallah. So their inshallah. legacy is, is a very precious one, a very beautiful one. Yeah, so, you know, our generation must make dua for them and remember that we're standing on the shoulders of giants, really, you know. SubhanAllah. Jazakallah khairan, Suma, for sharing all of that with us. Um, 
you know, you've taken us on a trip down memory lane, <laughs> mashallah. Um, and I hope people will get a copy of your book, Turning the Tide, uh, published by the Islamic Foundation. So mashallah, the same organization that you mentioned quite a few times during this uh, session that obviously had played an important part in your life. Um, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward you for writing such a beautiful book um, and may it weigh heavily on your scales on the day of judgment. Amen. And also, Jazakallah to everybody who had a part to play in that, uh, including yourself, Sister I remember <laughs> this, yes, for this last edition, you actually checked it all for me again. Um, oh. Maybe well. forgotten. But Alhamdulillah, I'm yeah, so grateful. It was already a great. There's a whole team there at uh, Q Publishing as well, and we mustn't forget the um, creative designer, creative lead, brother mm -hmm. Jannah, who designed the whole thing. Yeah. And Mashallah, that's what has become very attractive to a lot, especially our younger sisters. I'm getting a lot of really lovely feedback from them. They're just immediately mm -hmm. attracted. So that credit goes to the brother who's the designer. <laughs> well, alhamdulillah, that's the great thing about a book, you know, it's a collaborative effort, isn't it? But it's the words, the words are the kind of, I'd say, the most powerful thing about a book. So Jazakallah Khairan, uh, Suma Appa, and uh, I hope you have a good weekend. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And with that, dear brothers and sisters, I'm going to uh, leave you, inshallah, bid you farewell. Uh, I hope you enjoyed that episode. Please do share the episode with as many brothers and sisters and friends that you can. You know, you never know when somebody might hear something that they really needed to hear. Um, and also, we want to spread these positive messages, you know, about the youth, about uh, the elderly as well, and um, the the books and things that we can benefit from. So do share the episode, inshallah, uh, like the episode and leave a comment. And with that, I'm going to say salam. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Ashhadu an la ilaha illa anta. Astaghfiruka wa atubu ilaik.